Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Tuesday, October 25th, and I'm Cynthia Connolly, Director of Programming at the City Club. I am pleased to introduce today's forum, A Global City for All. Cleveland has always been a welcoming gateway city. Immigrants and refugees are playing an increasingly critical role in every facet of Greater Cleveland's economy. According to local organization Global Cleveland, immigrants are twice as likely as native-born residents to become entrepreneurs. And nearly one-fifth of immigrants in the Cleveland metro area, aged 27 years or older, have a graduate or professional degree. They are contributing to the brain gain needed to support our thriving city. But recent national politics and policies have changed the rhetoric around immigrants and refugees, blurring fact from fiction. This has created a challenging environment for newcomers to our country. So what is the current state of immigration here? And how can Cleveland leverage the many talents of immigrants and refugees who join our communities and truly become a global city for all? Joining us for some introductory remarks is Dr. Ruth Ellen Wassum, Senior Fellow at the College of Education and Public Affairs at Cleveland State University. From 2016 to 2022, Dr. Wasson was a pro professor of public policy practice at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas in Austin. There she taught courses on immigration and citizenship policies, refugee and hu human security policies, and le legislative development. Dr. Wasson continues to be engaged in Washington, D.C. and as an opinion contributor for The Hill. Following Dr. Wasson's remarks, we will hear from our panel of local immigrant leaders. Joining us is Kwame Bachwe, the Director of Community Impact and Innovation at Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, Larice Mondock, the Annual Fund Communications Coordinator at Cuyahoga County Public Library, and Marina Jackman, co-founder and CEO at Time to Talk. The conversation will be moderated by Patrick Espinosa, Managing Partner at Sus Abogados Latinos. If you have a question for our speaker or panelists, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your question at the City Club, and City Club staff will try to work it into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Dr. Ruth Ellen Wassum. Thank you very much to the City Club. It's, it's an honor, uh, and I'm delighted to be here today. I also want to acknowledge uh, the chairman of the board of Global Cleveland, um, David Fusilier, if I, I'm not saying it right. <laughs> Uh, he's also from Case Western Reserve, that he's here, and the dean, uh, uh, my new dean uh, at uh, Cleveland State, uh, Roland Angland, uh, at the College of Public Affairs and Education at Cleveland State. Uh, I am delighted, as I said, to be here, and um, I'm going to begin. We live in a world in motion. Tens of millions of people all over the globe are migrating. 
They migrate for a variety of reasons, some for improvements, some for very compelling humanitarian reasons, some to reunite with family. Immigration is not a problem to be solved. It's a phenomena to be managed. How good a job we do managing immigration is what makes the difference of whether we are truly a welcoming and global community for the 21st century. We know immigrants play key roles in fueling prosperity and enriching cultural life. Our nation is indeed more resilient and more vibrant because of the renewal that immigration brings. More than one half of the worst workforce growth in the last two decades are the direct result of immigrants and their children. Foreign-born residents of the United States are at a record uh, 20, uh, excuse me, 44.8 million. That's about 14.5% of our population. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are about uh, 28.4 million foreign-born workers in the United States, about 17.4% uh, of our labor force. Here in Cleveland, immigrants make up 6.1% uh, of the population, and they pay, according to the Center uh, the New American Economy, immigrants in Cleveland pay $1.3 billion in taxes. 1.3 billion in taxes in 2019. So let's get a big picture of what U.S. immigration policy, what those principles are. During the 20th century, the United States enacted a series of laws in, in the early part of the 20th century that limited numerically the number of immigrants that could arrive. And they prioritized the traits that foreign nationals would have in order to qualify for admission. The earliest of those traits were family ties. Um, they also, uh, in uh, the 1920s, enacted race-based quotas on who could come in and, uh, and with numerical limits. But in 1965, the United States ended race-based immigration and established per-country ceilings. It was also in the 60s that we came up with the principles of immigration that are still the guiding principles today. Again, family reunification is important, but we now value needed economic skills, and we added provisions for refugees. We had always done ad hoc refugee admissions in the past. It became a fun fundamental principle of U.S. immigration policy embedded in the 1980 Immigration Act. Today, we admit about a million people annually as lawful permanent residents each year. Some are adjusting status. They've already been living and working in the United States. Some are coming from abroad for the first time. Uh, in addition, to the a million people we admit every year under these numerical limits, there are four million people who have approved pending petitions to immigrate to the United States through one of our uh, numerically limited categories that are just waiting for a visa to become available. 
So these are people that already meet the qualifications to come into the country, either through family or an employer um, or uh, other, uh, other uh, minor categories that we have. Now, family-based immigration dominates U.S. immigration policy. It's uh, typically at least two-thirds, 61% in the most recent data. Over half of the family-based immigrants who come to the oh well, yeah, over half of all the immigrants that come to the United States are the immediate relatives of a U.S. citizen. That means they're a spouse or a minor child or a parent of a U.S. citizen over 21. So family-based immigration dominates the flow. Now, normally employment-based, which I know when you're talking about some of the things we're going to talk about today and in, in Global Cleveland's interest in the economic powerhouse, employment-based immigration is one of the areas we take a closer look at. It's typically about 15%, but in um, uh, the most recent year, it's uh, gone up to uh, 25%, 26% of the flow coming in. Part of the reason it's a large, it's not really that the numbers have gone up that much, it's that refugees, which usually come in at about the same number as the employment-based, refugee processing had been shut down for several years. So we've got major backlogs in refugee processing, and the number of ref refugees that we typically admit are not back to, or, or only now going back to our traditional levels. So they were only 4.8% last year. And um, so this gives you uh, the sense of our principles. It's also one of the things that when we talk about reforming immigration, we don't spend enough time addressing, and partly because it's a tough conversation, what's the proper balance um, between employment-based and family-based and humanitarian are there, is there, are there other categories we should add? Are there some we should cut back? Does the pie get bigger? Or is the public, uh, the American people, uh, would they go for more than a million a year? What would be, so do we in, enlarge the pie? Do we shift the priorities? These are not easy discussions. These are not easy discussions. And it's one of the things that always makes um, dealing uh, improving U.S. immigration policy, making reforms, it always makes it a thorny de debate. Now, United States is unique um, among world countries. Uh, there, I'm sure there might be others, but we are unique in that we, if we admit someone to be a lawful permanent resident, they can become a U.S. citizen as long as they meet the, the criteria that are set and established. And you know, we can talk about that if you have questions, but basically lawful permanent residents are on a track to citizenship if they choose to do that. We also are among uh, a handful of countries, most of whom are in this hemisphere, that have birthright citizenship. So anyone born in the United States is a US citizen. So these are, are again, foundational principles of, of who we are. Naturalization is about 48% right now of uh, eligible immigrants. And, um, but the, sh and the sheer number of naturalized citizens at, are at a historic high. 
22 million uh, in 2018 was, was a, a, a high point. However, the backlog of, of, of petitions to become a U.S. citizen is around a million, around a million people eligible to become citizens just trying to work through that. One other category I want to mention are non-immigrants. Now, non-immigrants, unlike the lawful permanent residents, non-immigrants are people that are admitted for a temporary period of time for an express purpose. These are tourists, students, temporary workers, things like that. We have over 70 different categories of non-immigrants. It's, it's very esoteric. Um, and typically, the State Department, I did at the average over the last 10 years, issues about a 9 million new non-immigrant visas every uh, uh, every year. And that allows for multiple entries and your visas can be good for up to 10 years. About um, 1 million of those visas that are issued every year are for people that are eligible to work in the United States. Again, on a temporary basis for a specific purpose. Whether foreign nationals coming in on a temporary visa are allowed to work in the United States is another one of those contentious issues and whether or not they can adjust easily to becoming a lawful permanent resident is another uh, contentious issue. Right now, most people on non-immigrant visas are barred from adjusting status, from provisions that have been in the law for you know, over 100 years. The, these are things that are particularly important in a city like Cleveland with our world-class universities and uh, the biomedical research, all that, that goes on in Cleveland where people are, multinational uh, companies that are bringing people in, um, whether or not it's easy or there are barriers for people who are lawfully here on a non-immigrant visa to become a lawful permanent resident is, is another one of those barriers. So the federal government, I've just given you in a nutshell the federal role. But cities play an important role. And where the cities play the role is in immigrant incorporation. Federal government doesn't really get involved. There's some funding. And the research is showing, no surprise, immigrants have been revitalizing cities and towns, particularly since the 1965 Immigration Act, uh, repopulating neighborhoods, going up and opening up boarded storefronts uh, in dormant commercial areas. You see this in Cleveland. You see it in cities across the country. Now, immigrant incorporation, when I use that word, it's predicated on social cohesion among the residents. And um, it, um, it's the, that the well-being of immigrants is highly dependent on their starting points, their racial and ethnic groups, legal status, social class, and the geographic area that they came from, and where, they are, where they're settling. All of these things make a big difference. What's important to remember when you look at immigrant incorporation is that both native and foreign-born residents participate in this societal dynamic. Government policies, the, the uh, public sector, and nonprofits can play the, a key role in whether these policies limit incorporation or foster feelings of acceptance and belonging. 
So I'm going to close with just a few things that I have found from my research on what cities around the country. I haven't studied Cleveland yet. I will. <laughs> what are the things that work? First off, what we have found, cities that formally establish and staff an office charged with immigrant affairs and incorporation. That's very important. Supporting naturalization with resources and coursework aimed at English language proficiency and civics, um, very important, and, and working to encourage civic participation across all communities. Collaboration with public and private universities and colleges and other non-governmental organizations to deliver workforce development programs and ensure information about the requirements for starting businesses that are accessible in immigrant communities, making sure that entrepreneurial information is accessible. Leveraging all the policy tools to develop and preserve affordable housing. This is an issue that cuts across everything. It's particularly an issue when we're talking about immigration. And so uh, preserving affordable housing and ensuring that immigrant neighborhoods are factored in and immigrant voices are included are, as the priorities are set and the plans are executed. And finally, using community and neighborhood risk factors that encompass immigrant populations to identify the at-risk parts of communities and locate the resources and what's needed um, while you establish these community hubs and neighborhoods, um, enable um, a global city, a, a modern city in the 21st century, to agilely respond to not just immigrant needs, but the community and neighborhood needs as they ebb and flow. I will conclude with this. Public policies that aim to incorporate immigrant resiliency boost resiliency for all residents of the community, native and foreign born alike. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Wassum. Um, that was incredible. Um, thank you, uh, Kwame, uh, Larisse, uh, Marina. Um, this first question, I want you to tell everybody um, where you're from and how long you've been to Cleveland, and um, why it's important for Cleveland to pay attention to pay attention to international uh, trends. Uh, Starting with me, because yep. you're looking at me. Okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, I am Kwame Bachwe. I am originally from Ghana, um, so I'm a black star, as we would call ourselves. Um, I've been in Cleveland now for five years. Um, I came here first as a student at Case Western, um, graduated and uh, made Cleveland home. So I feel now like I'm more of a Clevelander than a lot of people who call themselves Clevelanders. So um, <laughs> thank you all for making uh, um, a home for me here. I think um, just from the work that I do, um, so I work at Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, Village Capital Corporation. Um, I see all my people in the back. Shout outs to all of them. Um, the work that I do, we are very much in the community. And if you look at the city of Cleveland today, I feel like the city itself is in transition. Um, we are moving from one point to the other. There's incredible energy. Um, there's important conversations that are happening around the revitalization of the city. And if you just look at the national trend and you look at other communities that are doing it right, immigration and the integration, the assimilation of immigrants 
um, in that conversation and in that process is extremely important. Um, you look at some of the cities that have been struggling, and we all know that Cleveland has a population issue. Um, and so sometimes you'd wonder why Cleveland does not all the way prioritize um, attracting and retaining uh, more immigrants in this community to you know, sort of plug some of that gap um, for us. Indeed, you look, like, you look at cities like Cincinnati, for instance, you realize that in the past decade or so, almost 87% of the population growth that they've seen came from immigrants. Um, you look at other communities, um, immigrants have been the people that have stopped the community, the population from declining. You look at the city of Cleveland, you would observe that a lot of the new immigrants that are coming into the city, most of them are moving to the suburbs um, and not necessarily the city itself um, because they are finding home there. It's not a trend that is um, limited to just Cleveland, it's a trend that's happening in other places. Um, and so as we think about the city of Cleveland itself, and think about how do we revitalize this community, how do we make sure that we are making a place that is welcoming. Um, for immigrants, we also need to be looking at that regional um, dynamic as well and working closely with the county and all the suburbs um, to ensure that there's a regional strategy to sort of figure that out. Thank you, Kwame. Larise? Hi, I'm Larise. Um, I moved to Cleveland in 2014, so it's eight years now. Um, I work for um, Cuyahoga County Public Library for me, it's um, my pragmatic answer is that immigration will be here whether or not you know you like it or not. Um, I ended up here because my sister um, was a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, and you know the clinic needs very skilled workers. Um, and you know I came here and I fell in love with someone who is a native here, and now I'm here. So I feel like the better we are prepared for um, immigration and the foreign workers we have, the better we'll thrive as a, reason, as a region. So we should just be paying attention to immigration trends. Thank you, Larissa. Marina. Hello, everyone. My name is Marina Jackman. Um, I'm from Argentina, from Buenos Aires. I've been in Cleveland for five years. And I think that to not make it long, and Kwame has said some very important stats and I agree with your pragmatic vision. Um, it's If you look at the most famous and successful cities in the world, and you look at who lives there, and how people treat each other, and the policies that are in place for them to succeed uh, from an employment standpoint and from a social and cultural standpoint, um, that tells you that they they care about immigrants, and that makes them leaders in the world. So we have to learn from those cities and to make, to make this a, a world-class city. And there are so many people that have that mindset here. I've learned with time, uh, but those people need to speak a little louder. <laughs> Thank you, Marina. Um, <coughs> Kwame, you were uh, speaking about integration. It's something that we need to uh, support as a community. Um, now, what are some cultural differences that we should be aware of or that should be considered um, when supporting uh, recent immigrants? I, I think we, um, the important thing is understanding that the integration itself happens in two ways. Um, you have the spatial in integration, so where the immigrants come, where they, which community or neighborhood are they, are they entering into first? 
Um, that is one aspect of it. And then there's the social integration. What social networks are they building? Um, if you look at it historically, when immigrants move to new places, they usually move to their traditional communities where they know people, um, where they feel like they have the same similarities and characteristics with the community that they have. And then as they begin to settle and get more assimilated, they branch out of those communities, right? The reason that is, is that as people coming from a different space and coming into this new community, we bring with us our full identities. And often you'd feel that the expectation of the community is that as a process of assimilation itself is happening, immigrants need to let go of that identity in order to become what the community wants them to be. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, I think we should be creating spaces where we are celebrating the cultural identity and the diversity that people bring into the community. And that is what makes immigrants feel at home. So when I moved here, um, my first name for a lot of people who did not know, my first name was Edmund. Um, but I've embraced Kwame because I wanted people to, you know, I want to inspire some curiosity in people. So when they meet me and you say, oh, my name is Kwame, they're like, oh, Kwame, they struggle a little bit, but they get it. Eh? And then they begin to ask questions of, so where do you come from? And then you begin to have the opportunity to educate um, and to share you know, part of your story. Um, and so the language is part of that integral part of that identity. I was lucky enough to come here already speaking English. Um, and so the process was easier for me. Um, I was lucky to come here already having a graduate degree. Um, and so my social status and the education um, status and all of those made it easier for me to integrate. But it's not a case for some of the other people that are coming into the space. So staying mindful of some of those idiosyncrasies um, and being empathetic um, and curious enough to entertain and welcome and create space to um, interact with these people is extremely, extremely important. Excellent. Thank you. Now, speaking about uh, <coughs> cultural identity, uh, Marina, um, how do you feel your cross-cultural experiences help you become a successful entrepreneur? Um, the word that comes to mind is always perspective because I come from a country where there's 90% annual inflation, that there are not many opportunities for entrepreneurship. There are uh, a lot of courses and networking events, but when it comes to the real thing, funding and networking with people that can truly help you move um, a business or an idea even to the next level, it's impossible. So for me, that has given me so much strength to look for all the available options and, and do anything to make it happen. So I think that comes from perspective. And yeah, Cleveland has a lot to offer to people who are thinking of getting into entrepreneurship. I'm happy to share any of that in more detail later. Thank you. Um, my next question, um, I want to try to keep it short, maybe a, a minute or two. Uh, I know there's a lot of immigrants in this room, but there's a lot of uh, native-born people here. Can you share um, quickly in the most frustrating part of your immigration experience, just so that they can kind of have a sense of what you had to go through or what are still going through? I feel like that deserves a full day um, <laughs> conversation. <laughs> the entire experience is frustrating. Um, I, I think being an immigrant is, um, it's, you are plagued with extreme uncertainty um, because you never know when policy is going to change. Um, you never know where you are going to be in a space and um, you apply for some changing status or whatever it is and there's so much discretionary power um, that is held over your future in that regard. So it's, um, in terms, I think in the academic circles, they'll call it precarity 
um, where you know some of these policies just make you extremely uncertain and you don't know where your future is going so it's so difficult to plan but we still make it work um, and so it's it's just a challenging thing and sometimes I wish people would look at immigrants and not feel like um, they have it all rosy or cozy um, but to appreciate that it's extremely challenging especially for people like myself who do not have any family here um, or your family is back home and you're here trying to you know figure it out building new networks and all of that so it's extremely challenging for me, I'll be concrete. Um, specifically, I became a naturalized citizen last year in 2021. And um, like Dr. Wassum um, explained, it was a really long wait. Plus, I had to pay $750 to be a citizen. Sorry. Um, and it was about to be double. There was talks that it speaking of precarity and uncertainty it was about to be double and someone who's like fully employed um it was you know it's expensive it's expensive to be an immigrant and there's a lot of hidden fees that you don't you know as terms of lawyers in terms of visa talks um so that's what's more more most frustrating for me and people always say that yes that um you know we get a lot of benefits but actually we pay a lot of money so Um, yeah, I think it's, it's similar. It's the misinformation and the uncertainty leads to fear. So it's a lot of people living in fear of whether they're going to be able to have a normal life here or if they're going to get kicked out out of nowhere because of all these changes and uncertainty. So yeah, that's not cool. Uh, Larice, what can Clevelanders do in their day-to-day their -day life uh, to make Cleveland a more welcoming place for immigrants? Um, for me, just uh, bouncing off of Kwame, I think one little thing is pronouncing everybody's name correctly, taking the time. Um, sometimes it, my name, um, Filipinos will know that my name, I have two first names. I always say that I have Larice Jem. Everybody has kind of like two, or most of my people in my generation have two first names. And sometimes there's not enough boxes. Passports are really like, what? You have two first names? Um, even, you know, ju just like that narrative that you're not, you have to constrict yourself constantly and, you know, lose a part of you when you're, you, when you already lose so much of yourself. So for me, that's one little thing I think everybody can do is take the time to like, you know, write it or learn um, kind of the uh, unconventional spellings and names that you might hear from immigrants. And full disclosure, in preparing these questions for everybody, um, I wrote their names by the questions, and uh, MS Word um, autocorrected Larice to Larissa. And <laughs> <laughs> Which happens a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, Marina, how do we fight uh, the narrative that accepting immigrants into our community um, is not taking away from a, the piece of the you know piece of the pie or someone's job? Um, just we really need to understand that that's not true, and that that is a narrative all over the world. You know, with different nationalities, whether wherever you are, but it is actually the opposite because it creates more opportunities as people open their minds get perspective from other people from other cultures. And it's just the same thing as with languages. I work in the language learning space, and some people fear that if they learn a second language, they'll lose their first language for some reason, and it's actually the opposite. You just gain so much more. We have so much more brain capacity that we can even imagine. So 
Um, that's the same thing with jobs and with opportunities. And as I don't even know who mentioned it, but <laughs> immigrants create jobs as well. So it's, yeah, we have to, it's a very dangerous um, cliche sentence that we need to fight and eliminate. Larissa, do you want to add something? Yes, and just um, in terms of taking the, you know, like that there's a finite amount of resource, even in black and brown communities, I know Kwame, you've, we've talked about this too, where I feel like there's fighting because it feels like there's so many limited resources, but like Dr. Wassum's talk, like the things that we need to do to become a welcoming city, like affordable housing, looking at at-risk communities, these are things that benefit, you know, the most marginalized and that affects immigrants and like black Clevelanders who are also, um, discriminated against in the city. So I, I did want to thank all of you guys for making Cleveland a more global city, but uh, Kwame, I know we were speaking earlier, what can Cleveland do um, to prioritize uh, or encourage international students to stay here? You know, how do we return, how do we retain all this uh, diverse talent? And specifically, we, you know, you stayed here and we're, we're very grateful for it. How did, how did your experience? Um yeah, I, I think, um I was telling you there's a long list of individuals and people that made it possible um, for me to want to stay in Cleveland and remain here, um, including Dan himself um, sitting there, uh, my boss Dion over there, the Mark Joseph and uh, wife Melanie, a long list of people. Um, what I have been blessed to have is get plugged into a network that was extremely supportive. Um, Global Cleveland. Joe Simperman have been one of uh, my biggest um, connectors and supporters in the city. Um, but at the end of the day, Global Cleveland is one organization. There is not the institutional support here for a lot of you know, students that are leaving school to really explore, one, job opportunities, and two, when they get those job opportunities for the companies that are employing them to figure out how do they make it happen for them in terms of applying for work visas and all of that. Um, and so I think there are specific things that the city can do. I already spoke about taking a regional approach um, to this immigration um, issue, but I also think that it is important. I know Mayor Bibb talked about it when he was on the campaign trail, um, about having someone at City Hall that would be responsible for immigration issues. Um, cities that have, or the gateway cities that we've seen, have comprehensive policies in place and one-stop shops for all your immigration needs. So you walk into an office, they're able to tell you where the resources are located and where to go. Having something like that would be incredibly um, helpful um, for international students who are looking to stay here because you know Cleveland has a lot going for it. Um, there are a lot of other cities do not have, but the job opportunities um, are just difficult to come by. And when they do, employers do not always keep their promises, um, as has been the case of a lot of people. I've not had it that way in my employers have been incredible. Um, so I've stayed with them since I've been here. Excellent, thank you. Um, Marina, why do you think, um, and this is completely opinion, um, I know there's many people discussing this policy, but uh, why do you think that companies are adverse to hiring uh, international talent? Is it solely just because of the immigration process or is there something more deep-rooted? In all honesty, I think it, it has to do with ignorance and not taking the time to understand that just because someone comes from another country doesn't mean that they will not, A, get what it is, like the, the American way of working, 
That's something that an immigrant that has all this, the, the need to survive is going to learn quite quickly, actually. Uh, just because we have an accent doesn't mean that we're not smart. And, and you know, many of these fallacies and cliches and stereotypes that we fight every day. So I think that there's a lot of willingness, but there's still the need to um, educate the leadership in, in companies and to really, you know, we were talking about DEI um, policies that, that are in, in a lot of organizations, but they're just words, unfortunately. And yeah, we need to support the people who are trying to make that, to do that educative work. Educative? Um, <laughs> you get it. Um, work <laughs> to, to support that with actual facts and actions. Larisse, um, what are some common mistakes that um, we should avoid as a, as a city, as an, as an industry, uh, when it comes to uh, immigrants and yeah. lessons from the past? Well, I, I like, so Kwame came here as an international student. I think Marina came here through spousal, is that right? I came here through family ties, like my sister, my aunt petitioned me. So I already had a green card when I got here and even then it was so I had I was authorized to work in the United States um, but it was really difficult to get a job like I feel like people don't take your resume seriously even if you at with a foreign university and then a foreign experience um, and I really urge people to hiring managers everybody to have an open mind with um, if they say they're authorized to work in the United States and they have all this experience um, and it, the only thing you know holding you back is because you, this university is foreign to you. That's one thing. Um, it can, and to HR professionals working out, work, or listening, it's like, it can be really discouraging when it says accredited university and you can't even find, you can't even put other sometimes and that's really um, discouraging sometimes, so. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Wasserman, I'm gonna ask you a question as well, maybe a little bit more technical, maybe a little bit more political, but, you know, immigration laws really haven't changed. They've been frustrating for the last 20, 30, 50 years. Are, are we close at all to figuring this out? Well, immigration law uh, is second only to the tax code in terms of its complexity and size. It's huge. I often bring it with me, uh, but it's just too heavy. Um, and I don't think it, if, uh, it it's, it's politics and it's these tough questions that we have not as a, as a people, there's a lot of these things we haven't talked about. That's why this forum is so important because we need to have national conversations, we need to have community conversations on what are our priorities, our values, what's most important. When we do it, they will come. Thank you, Dr. Blossom. Um, I believe we're gonna Go to question and answers from the audience. Hello. We are about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org. Again, if you'd like to tweet a question for our panelists, please tweet it at the City Club. And you can also text it to 330-541-5794, and City Club staff will try to work that question into the program. You know, we have a lot of amazing folks here ready to ask a question, so... We have our first question, please. We'll start with a question from our virtual audience. 
Um, first question is, as our generation grows up and grows our family, what concerns and or excites you about raising children as they grow up as second generation immigrants? I can. Okay. <laughs> no, why don't you no, go no, for no, it? No. Okay. No, no, no. Well, I have, I have no children yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, I think the, the, the exciting thing is that the world is definitely getting more global. Um, there's more interconnectivity. Um, children are exposed to a lot more culturally um, than generations before them. Um, and so you'd realize that generations, you look at Gen Z's, for instance, and you see they are a lot more culturally competent um, than a lot of us millennials and those before us. Um, and so I feel like the future is, you know, there are incredible opportunities there. Um, for children to grow up to be really empathetic and really global-minded citizens um, of the world. Um, but also there are incredible challenges um, because just as there are, there's this interconnectivity and there's uh, a lot of information out there, um, a lot of that information is also toxic. Um, and so the, the challenge or the opportunity and the peril here is that um, as you know, a young man who is looking forward to having a few children in the future, um, it's also about learning to sort of manage and be able to raise children in a way that um, they grow up to be the kind of, you know, um, citizens that you want to see and people that you would be happy interacting with coming into new spaces. So I can chime in on this a little bit. I have a one and a half year old and a four and a half year old. Um, we start early. Uh, little things like flashcards in Spanish. Uh, I lock the tablet into Spanish language. Uh, I take them to the Asian supermarket. I take them to the, the Mexican supermarket. There's a lot of cultural festivals at Cleveland. Um, the, the people here are very proud of the culture. We try to go to all these festivals so that our children can see everything and you know they'll do their part. If I ever have children, um, I think what excites me is um, I mean, we have, in, in this region, the best libraries. Um, <laughs> I, gotta, I had to place that in there. Um, the best libraries, um, yeah, in the country, really. We have excellent story times, excellent books. There's a wide array of books that you can borrow books from anywhere in Ohio. So that's really encouraging to me, especially, you know, Marina, it's also important to me that my kids would grow up bilingual. Um, so. Excellent, excellent resources all around. That's awesome. And tied to that last comment, I think that I talked to a lot of people um, that came in the 80s and had children in the 90s, and they didn't, well, and before as well, they didn't pass on the biculturalism or multiculturalism to their kids because they were trying to blend in. And now this is reverting, and it's amazing to see that because multi multiculturalism is now being celebrated and um, promoted. So that excites me about if I ever have kids, um, that. But I'm excited for all the other kids. <laughs> yeah. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you all so much for spending your afternoon sharing your experiences with us. Uh, my question is about Cleveland as a climate refuge. Uh, many cities across the Great Lakes region have gone so far as to market themselves as a destination for refugees escaping the pressures and perils of global climate change. I'd like your evaluation of us where we stand today as a city of Cleveland in being prepared for future waves of immigrants who are coming, who are facing war or pressures created by climate change in their homes. 
Well, I, I work a bit in the sustainability spaces as well, so I can um, talk, you know, touch on that. I think Cleveland has incredible assets. Um, we have the Metro Parks, um, which is second to none in this region. Um, we have the Lake Erie itself that is there. Um, we have a huge housing stock that is just waiting to be rehabbed um, and filled up. Um, we have a community of incredible climate and um, sustainability advocates and activists working all across the region. Um, I think part of the Cleveland problem is I don't think Cleveland sells itself hard enough. Um, and so the narrative itself, um, being able to uplift that and sell these assets. Um, there's public transportation, which is important for immigration. Um, there's the housing piece. There's just so many assets, and I could go on and on and list them out, um, that are important for the future. And so if we can be able to market this um, in the right places, to the right places, um, to the right people, we should be able to attract um, the exact kind of talent and people that we want to see in the city. Uh, the four of you, uh, the immigrants on the stage, the newcomers, um, so much of the conversation around international newcomers is coming to something new and leaving something old behind. And yet the four of you have shown in your lives um, and what you've talked about today that you have created this bridge from where you came from to today because it's who you are and it's why we're all so lucky to have you. Marina, if you could just talk and start, and Larissa and, and Kwame and Patrick, Every single day you're talking to people who were either in your home country or in neighboring countries, and you've created a business out of it. And I'm just curious if everybody could kind of speak to that a little bit, because it, it speaks to the fact that our diaspora in Cleveland, in addition to a lot of other groups, have a lot of work to do. Yes, thank you, Joe. Um, it is, so, wait, let me organize my ideas. One second. Okay. so. I consider myself very lucky to A, have had the opportunity to travel, B, to be able to go back to my home country. Uh, I just came from there yesterday, actually, so I'm a little shook. Um, it's always a little, it's happy and it's hard as well because I remember how hard things are there. And here, things are hard for a different reason, um, but again, perspective. So I created a business that actually generates that access to um, people that would have never in their entire lives interacted with the other people that we connect them with. So it's to improve language speaking skills, but it's so much more because language is not just words, it's culture, it's experiences. And I'm gonna take this opportunity to read, I shared with Pat this short message, don't worry. A uh, very short message from, so we work with schools um, in 12 states actually now. We started in Cleveland, we started with local high schools and universities, and it's fascinating to see how students that would have never talked to someone in Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Uruguay, I could keep going, suddenly have this new knowledge and they, all of these preconceptions just suddenly disappear because they had only seen Latin America as this one country or this movie about narcos, you know, I mean, it's real, that's true. Or they only, you know, make jokes about, I know how to say, por favor, that's it. But there's so much more. And so this, um, I got this message from a teacher at a school in San Francisco from one of his students. 
warn you, I might sound a little cryy, but it's just very exciting. Um, okay. I'm writing to tell that I had a very heartwarming and interesting conversation with one of the people on Time to Talk. We talked about the world's problems and shared problems facing both our countries. Anyway, I just wanted to give you thanks, thanks to you and the school for giving us this opportunity. This is a class of 2024 student who talked about the world problems and his country and the coach country, the coach um, is in Colombia. So I think that, you know, for me, that's the most powerful thing that we can do and give access to people that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to travel. We have to, we have to leverage technology to um, create these bridges and, and create these connections and this awareness because you don't even need to talk to someone from Colombia. I mean, I just talked to someone from Colombia who's right here. <laughs> so we are all here as well. And, and it's important to yeah, to right here too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's uh, about opportunity and uh, inclusivity. And I know uh, Kwame, I'm going to borrow his quote, uh, Cleveland doesn't sell itself good enough um, to show the opportunity. So I moved here eight years ago and quickly saw that there were no Spanish-speaking attorneys. Uh, this year I launched Ohio's first and only uh, Hispanic law firm. Uh, we're 100% Hispanic, 100% bilingual. Um, based on the recent uh, census data, there's 150,000 Hispanics in Northern Ohio and somewhere between 20 and 30 attorneys that speak Spanish. So the opportunity's there. Uh, you know, the, the ones that do speak Spanish have an almost monopoly. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's ways to obviously, uh, you know, start businesses, um, but then also give back. Uh, I do a lot of speaking at schools and show some of these first or second generation, uh, you know, Hispanics that, hey, yes, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer, you can be a scientist. Um, some of the first generations um, that's not immediately passed down from their parents. So I think as a community, it's definitely on us to show um, the upcoming generations that opportunities are there for everybody. Um, it is really, t uh, I often say it's, going from to the Philippines or here, you never feel quite at home. Like, it's just so tough. You feel, feel split between two places. Um, and at Sister Cities, there was, they had a guest from Poland in Gdansk, if I'm saying that. Um, and she talked about, you know, how everybody welcomed the Ukrainian refugees with open arms because they, they had personal stake in what was going on. And I feel like sometimes that's what we need in the U.S. sometimes. Um, and one of the things, immigrant, immigrants are, you know, not a monolith, obviously. And one of the things that has been very helpful to me is to read books. Um, it's just amazing what you can glean from experiences and, um, you know, the, the narratives and the empathy that you can form with learning about um, the many different experiences people have coming to the United States. and. For me, um, it's hard to explain in words, but books kind of explain it pretty well. Thanks, Good afternoon. Uh, Mark Owens with Team Neo. Uh, my question is for Dr. Ruth. Um, our region is in the top, top four, I believe, for attracting international talent to higher education, but we're in the bottom five for retaining it. Uh, you mentioned earlier some of the studies you've done in other cities and what they're doing to make their cities more global. Um, what, what have you seen in those other cities that we can learn from how we connect higher education to employers, to economic development agencies? What are, what are other cities doing that is, is helping retain that, that talent in those cities so we can do the same here in Cleveland and the Northeast Ohio region? Well, 
That's an excellent question, and thank you for asking it, because I don't know as much about what Cleveland is doing, but I do know in those successful cities uh, that uh, are hubs, it's, there's more of a direct pipeline for all of the graduate students and students that are studying in the fields that feed into that, um, the economy, the local economy. So the kinds of things that help with um, the international students um, are also the same things that any student at that school, will they have a job in that community? If you're in a community that there's a mindset that people can't wait to go somewhere else, that plays on the newcomer too, because that's what they hear. Um, that, and so having a sense of they're not getting the jobs that someone at home that grew up there doesn't want because they're going somewhere flashier or nicer or with a company that's, that's part of it. But the other thing that is, that is critical is how sophisticated are the immigration lawyers uh, and the businesses in, in cultivating those pathways in figuring out what are the ways that we can be ahead of the curve on immigrant visas, on that complex um, connections between someone who's on a foreign student visa, and then they can do something called OPT, optional practical training to H-1B. A lot of this, the average businessman doesn't know this and doesn't necessarily have lawyers on staff that know this. Uh, it's very, it's, it's like tax law. You have to have someone who knows that provision. So um, there's uh, having a community uh, that understands the legal issues and is ahead of it, be ahead of it, um, so that um, you are um, able to maneuver that world because these things are numerically limited. So you're competing, it's about competition. Competing with uh, other co uh, companies, other communities. Uh, it would be interesting to know, and I don't know the answer to this, is if your company has locations in other cities, are the graduates here in Cleveland interested in going there more than they are in staying? And I don't know the answer to that. But so it's a, it's a combination of things. It's sophistication of the, of the uh, of the legal your knowledge, and that's why I recommend that Office of Immigrant Affairs. It's something that isn't just there to help immigrants, which it would do and be incredibly important for them, but also others in the community that have a stake in facilitating this immigrant inclusion. Thank you, Dr. Lassam. All right, thank you. Thank you, Patrick, Kwame, Larice, Marina, Ruth, for joining us today at the City Club. And thank you also to Joe Simberman at Global Cleveland for his partnership on today's forum. We would also like to welcome guests at tables hosted by Breakwall Analytics, Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, Cleveland State University's College of Education and Public Affairs, Cuyahoga County Public Library, Global Cleveland, and Team NEO. Thank you all for being here today. Later this week on Thursday, October 27th, we'll be back with our education innovation series talking about the importance of out-of-school time services for K-12 students. Dr. Dorothy Mothrup, uh, CEO of Open Doors Academy, will be moderating that conversation. 
And on Friday, October 28th, Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps, will be here for the City Club annual meeting to talk about his new project, One Small Step. You can find uh, more about these forums and your tickets online at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to our panelists, and thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Cynthia Connolly, and this forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.